Meet our mom, Kelly Hutchison. She is a life coach. She is a child counselor. She is a teacher. She's a parent coach. And she's a mom to us. She will teach you to stop yelling at your kids. She will teach you to get your kids to lesson. She will teach you how to never sleep with mommy guilt again. She will teach you how to be an imperfect mom. So you can help your kids be imperfect too. And have harmony in the home. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 42, How to Apologize. And before I get into today's topic, I want to talk a little bit about all that you've been seeing that our family has been going through with the ICU and hospice and the death in our family. And I just have to say that I am so thankful for all the love and all the support. And I am feeling the 50-50 of life and feeling all the feelings. I think the only difference between my life now versus before when I was quote unquote unconscious or not awake was that I was so afraid to feel all these feelings. So then when they would come up, I would push them down. I would shove them down. I would sometimes be super busy so I wouldn't have to feel the feelings. But now the only difference is that I'm feeling the feelings and they still are tricky, but I'm not having sadness about my sadness. I'm not having guilt about my sadness. I'm not having anxiety about my anxiety. I'm not feeling angry when I feel anger. Does that make sense? Because I really feel the more you allow it, the softer it gets. It still happens, but it doesn't have such a hold over you. Because I think we think that we're supposed to be happy all the time and our kids are supposed to be happy all the time. So when that doesn't happen, then we feel sad about our sadness or guilt about our anger or anxiety about our anxiety. And I think the more we can normalize it for each other, the more we're going to be able to normalize it for our kids and not always have to make something better for them and not always have to make their feelings go away. So whenever my kids are upset about something, instead of saying, well, don't feel that way. No, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Don't feel nervous. It's very connective to say, I feel nervous too. Because when all this was going on with the ICU and with hospice and the funeral, Lily's like, I am so scared. And I wanted to say, don't be scared. We don't know anything yet. The doctors are working so hard. The doctors are going to make everything better. I said, you know what? I'm scared too. And so then it doesn't make her feel so guilty for feeling sadness or feeling scared. Because feeling scared is a vibration going through your body and we all feel it. So when my kids are upset about something, I don't run from it and run from them. I actually lean into it and I connect on the emotion. Now, the things that they get upset about, not the ICU and hospice and things like that, but when they get upset about things that I can't relate with, I just know that I can connect with them on the emotion just because I don't understand the reason why they're upset. Because for the little kids, Lily used to get really mad the way I peeled the banana or if I gave Grady the wrong sippy cup color. I kind of remove the reason why they're upset and I connect on the emotion. When have I felt disappointed that someone broke my expectations? So then you're not so push, pull, push, pull, push, pull. You connect immediately on the emotion and we can change the behavior later, but not in the moment. 
A lot of times we want to lecture and we want a consequence and we just want to make the tricky emotion go away. But then what we do is we end up pushing that emotion away and holding that beach ball underneath water. And then we teach our kids to do the same thing. But the more we can normalize it for each other and for our kids and know that it's part of the human experience, then they're not so scared of it and we're not so scared of it. And we're not always trying to talk them out of it and stop crying, get over it. So I want to talk to you about apologizing today because we are all B minus. We are all doing our best, but we're going to mess up. I feel like relationships are like a game of double dutch. Like all that's going on with the coronavirus, we just have to modify, adjust, and then we get caught up in the ropes and then we say, okay, we're ready to go again. Everything that's going on with the coronavirus and all the uncertainty is teaching us about the double dutch and teaching us about the as is of all the things. If we can be as is about big things like the coronavirus and the school closings, and the sports being canceled, and pretty much they're telling us to hide underneath our beds. If we can handle the as-is of that, then we can handle the as-is of their energy when they get in the car, or we can handle the as-is of the weather, or the as-is if we do peel the banana wrong, and the as-is of when we are late picking them up, or our kids lie. Because a lot of times we spend so much energy arguing with reality And like Byron Katie says, when you argue with reality, you're always going to be wrong. Because I could sit here and argue about the coronavirus. But I would be sitting here pretty much talking to a wall because it wouldn't matter. And I'm not pushing down the disappointment that things are canceled, that our free trip to the Dominican Republic over spring break was canceled. I'm just feeling disappointed about that, but I'm not feeling guilty because I'm disappointed. And I allow myself to feel those feelings and then they don't have so much power over me because what you resist will only persist. So if we're constantly arguing with reality, then it's like double punching ourselves in the face. And so when you're teaching your kids how to apologize about something, the best way to teach it is to model and embody it. That is true for anything. If you want a child that has self-control, then you have self-control. Because here's the thing. Kids feel stress just like we do. They are younger, they're undeveloped, they're impressionable, so they don't know what to do with stress when it comes upon them. They just feel stress about different things than we do. But they, number one, don't have any strategies. Number two, their brains are undeveloped. And number three, if you're leaning to gossiping with your friend to alleviate the stress or drinking wine at night, or eating your feelings, or shopping your feelings, you are still able to get away from stress, and they don't have any of those strategies. And those are unhealthy strategies. So you can teach them unhealthy strategies, or you can teach them healthy strategies, or a combination of both, but just always be looking at how do I manage stress? Because it always starts from the top down, never from the bottom up. A lot of times we want our kids to be chill and relaxed, but then they look up at us and how chilled and relaxed are we? So the same thing comes with apologizing. The four R's of an apology are true for any relationship. This works in marriages. This works with kids. This even works with when you mess up and you break a promise to yourself. Because if I break a promise to Lily or Grady and I promise I'm going to take them somewhere and then I don't because I just don't feel like it, there needs to be a repair process to that. 
The same thing works with yourself. If you make a promise to yourself to do something, like work out, clean the house, do this podcast, write a blog that puts you out there, and then you break that promise to yourself, you still need to have some type of repair process with yourself because that's the only way you can build that trust and build those marbles up within your own relationship with yourself. So we got the idea from the about the marble jar from Brene Brown, and she talks about how when you're in a relationship, you're always making bids and you're always making deposits. And so you're always adding marbles into that relationship. And so it creates this sim- symbolic marble jar that she talks about all the time. And then we don't actually have a marble jar in our house, but we're always talking about the marbles. You just added a lot of marbles when you did that. Oh, that kind of stung. You took some marbles out there. Or how many marbles did I take out when I did that? So we're always talking like that. So it's kind of like a way to talk about how we're feeling and build that trust and build up those marble jars and build up that bank account of love and trust within our relationships with the people within our four walls, including the one with ourself. Because every time you keep a promise to yourself, it's like me keeping a promise to my kids to take them to Target at 4.30 when I said I would. So when you do mess up or you break a promise or things go don't go right and you get caught up in the double dutch of jump ropes, because that will happen. It's impossible not to. Your kids will do it and you will do it. The most important thing is to model and embody an apology and how it's done. And the Gottman Institute talks about the four R's of an apology. And it's re- take responsibility, repair, no repeat, and show remorse. So again, that's responsibility, repair, no repeat, and remorse. This is for the big things and this is also for the little things. So I have lots of examples and I know how you love examples. I want you to always talk about to your kids how apologizing can sometimes feel hard for you. The more we talk out loud, the more they're going to absorb it from us. And we're not talking at them. We're talking with them. Like yesterday, I was leaving the restaurant. We went to hurricanes after the funeral. And there is 150,000 people at Walmart right now. So I'm leaving the parking lot. And there are so many people crossing the crosswalk that I'm like, I felt like I was on a game of Frogger where I would go a little and then there are all these people. And I love letting people go through. And I'm like, go ahead. Have a nice day. Love you. Stay safe. Wash your hands. Don't pick your nose. And so my kids are sitting in the back seat. And as I'm going and playing this game of Frogger, letting people go, waving, letting people go, waving. And then people are letting me go. So I'm waving at them. So it's a very tit for tat back and forth. And they're like, oh, my goodness, there's so many people out. I'm like, I know. They're all trying to get toilet paper and hand sanitizer. And so I'm just kind of talking out loud. And all of a sudden, some dude behind me starts nailing the horn. And I'm talking, I'm talking, blaring on him. And I'm like, whoa. And they're looking back. I'm like, wow, what's going on here? And he's so angry at me. And he's nailing the horn, nailing the horn. And then we get a little bit further. And those of you who live local... They get to the pet store and he passes me in the parking lot. I'm like, what is going on? Have you ever seen that show, Joe Schmo? What is going on? Oh my gosh, the best show ever. It was so long ago. So he passes me where there's no place to pass. And then he gives me the middle finger. And my kids are watching all of this. And of course, I'm getting upset because he has no reason to act like that. But can I control the humans? No. Can I control the horn? No. Can I control the middle finger? No. I had explained to Grady what a middle finger is because I've been talking to you about it. He's like, what's the big deal about the middle finger? I'm like, 
when you're just like scratching your face, it's not a big deal. But like when someone does it out of anger, that's a problem. It's like sign languaging. It's like sign language for all the bad words. And so he actually got to see his first middle finger done out of anger. He's like, oh, that's what you've been talking about. I'm like, yeah. So they're watching me. Is mom going to freak out? Because then I had to pull next to him to pull because he was turning left and I was turning right. So we were side by side and he's glaring at me and I'm like, hello, I'm a child of God. I love you. And so it was a good opportunity for me to model calmness, even though he was making me upset. So I was saying, I'm going to take a deep breath. I cannot believe he just did that, but I'm going to take a deep breath and remember that he's a child of God, just like me. I'm going to talk to myself off the ledge because I want to nail my horn back. I want to roll down my window and say, what's your problem? And so the more that we can normalize that what we want to do versus what we do there can be a disconnect there. There can be a in-between. Just because we feel an emotion doesn't mean we need to act on it. If a police officer pulls you over, you weren't speeding, but you get a ticket for speeding, you're going to be very upset. But the chances of you yelling at that police officer are very slim to none. Why? Because you have respect for authority. You know that there's nothing you can do about it. It's a lose-lose. It's probably going to make it worse. So the same thing goes when our kids do something or break our expectation, it's okay to have that feeling, but acting on it is a different choice. So you're making the feelings okay, but the way you respond to that is completely within your control. Otherwise, you give all the power to your children and say, well, they made me do it. They started it. And this is the life I lived for a very long time. So I was essentially blaming my children, who were one and three, for my behavior. Even though I was in my 30s and they're one in three, I'm blaming them for my behavior. And that, my friend, is a lose-lose because that is essentially saying they started it to a one-year-old or they made me do it. Then you're giving all your emotional responsibility to a one and three-year-old. So I always talk about controlling your side of the street. And John Gottman and Julie Gottman run a relationship program and they talk about the four R's. The best way to teach the four R's is to show it to your kids by doing it to them when you mess up, which you will and you're supposed to. So the difference now when I mess up, I don't beat myself up and have guilt and shame. I'm like, oh, yay, I screwed up. So I can model the process of being kind to myself when I do. And I can lean into the B minus. And so it's okay to show them that apologizing is hard sometimes, but don't come at it from a lecturing point of view. It's always just talking out loud like, apologizing used to be hard for me. It's still kind of hard, but it's getting easier every time I practice it. These are conversations I say out loud. And then when they are apologizing, you're so good at apologizing. I would say if I had to label Lily when she was littler, she was not good at apologizing, but she would just drop her wall a little bit and say sorry. And then I would tell her how good she was at apologizing. So then she would kind of drop her wall even more. And there was a win-win feeling after she apologized because I would catch her doing it and then I would reinforce it of how good it made her feel. And then she was addicted to that feeling. So I was putting her on that positive loop. Whatever you want your kids to do more of, catch them doing it and reinforce it of how it makes them feel when they make the right choice and you'll see more of it. But that is not the way the brain naturally defaults to. The brain is always looking for trouble. It's looking for danger. It's looking to tell you that you're not good enough. So when you know that, then you know that you have to be conscious about your thinking and what you're looking for. And that is the best way to get the best out of your kids is to catch them doing what you want to see more of, reinforce that about how it makes them feel on the inside. Then they'll do it because of the way it makes them feel versus trying to please mom, 
trying to please dad, trying to please something outside of them. Because we want to get that life living from the inside to the out versus living their life from the outside to the in. The kids already know how to live their life from the in to the out naturally. So we just want to keep riding that wave. And so we have to deprogram and unlearn all the ways that we thought and we were taught to look outside of ourselves for validation. Whether it was our grades, our parents' opinion, our coaches, the number of goals we scored, that's all external. And so sometimes kids are trained to look external, even though internally, when they're little, internally, that's all they need. Okay, so I have some examples, which I know you love. And Lily and I have a ongoing disagreement, which is getting so much better. But this was literally something we argue about all the time is if she has volleyball at six o'clock and it's a 10 minute drive, she wants to leave at 530. And just sit in the parking lot and like look at each other because she's so afraid of running late that she she wants to reassure and reassure and just be there and then just chill. So she wants to be places 20 to 30 minutes early before places. And that's awesome. And that's great. But I got Grady at home. He can stay home for a couple minutes by himself. But like David's got to get home to relieve me. It's like a lot of tag teaming. So we can't always leave so early and just sit in the parking lot and look pretty and stare at each other. And so we've kind of come up with a win-win where if she starts to have anxiety about it, she'll uh, pull up, I'll pull up on the phone, the map quest and shows what time we'll be there. And so she just, if she ever gets worried, she just looks at the map quest. Okay. So if it's, if she wants to leave at 530 for a six o'clock volleyball, I'll say 545, then she'll come back with 537. And we kind of read in the middle between 537 and 542. And we always do funny numbers like that. And so before we did the range, the five minute range is another strategy we use to help us. And this can work the opposite. If you're the one who likes to be really early and your child is a slowpoke, then you can have the time work the same way. And so if we honor the time and we stay within that window, then we're good. But if someone breaks that window when she's nagging me at 530 to leave, then I get to choose the time and we'll lean lean towards my more like 542, 545. So this is the time that we before we had the range because the range really helps us. And so let's say we agreed on 537 and we left around 541. Well, that took marbles out of her jar. And so instead of being defensive and saying you're overreacting, la, 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 I said, I know that this is taking some marbles out. And so I apologize that we left at 541 and not 537. How can I make this better? So I fell on the sword, even though I wanted to make excuses. I wanted to defend myself. I wanted to do all the things. And I took responsibility. I said, yes, we agreed on 537. And this is when the range came up because 537 was just too much pressure. And so, yes, we agreed on 537. How can I make this better? And so the repair process was Lily got to choose the time the following time. And so then that's when we instituted the range. And then it's kind of a win-win. And then the repeat, how how do we make sure this doesn't repeat, is that if I do it again, or I'm way off, or I outside the window, then my consequence would be, so to speak, would be that she would get to choose the time. And so the remorse part of it is a lot of times done with energy and tone. You can sometimes look at your kids and see if they're showing remorse. They can look at me to see if they're showing remorse. The immediate thing that children and adults want to do when their backs are against the wall or someone's accusing them of something is they want to go and fight or flight. Some kids will fight back and be like, no, I'm going all in. And then other kids will be completely compliant and get super small. The problem with that is that you end up like Peter on The Bachelor, who has an 
overbearing mother who tells them how to feel and how to think and what to do their whole life. So then when they get on The Bachelor, they're all over the map. I don't know if you saw this episode, this season of The Bachelor, but Peter was so conflicted and so torn and could not make a decision to save his life. He couldn't even decide if he wanted chicken or steak. And so nobody understood it. It was so confusing for the girls and it was for the viewers. And then when we met his mom, God bless her, but she was like, all up in his grill and you need to pick this girl and this is why, you know, I'm your mother. You need to make me happy. And he had been trained his whole life to think to please his mother. And so we don't want that either. We don't want a super like compliant, just lose their throbbing spirit. So there is a balance between the two. Another example was when Grady, um, because I was at the ICU so much and at the hospital so much, sometimes he would come home and I was right behind him kind of thing. And so he was allowed to go on the iPad to do his homework and we allowed a time, I think it was 20 or 30 minutes to do this assignment. Well, Lily got home and she realized from the, I guess on the iPad, you can tell what app they're going to and how long well, he had gone over by 15 minutes. And so super sneaky, not a fan. And so I brought him in. I said, we need to talk knee to knee. And when they talk knee to knee, we sit in my room by ourselves without anybody else around. They're nine and 11, so they can handle the talking part. And so he's like, what do I do? What do I do? I said, how many minutes were you on the iPad? And he's like, I think I went over just because it was just so fun. And I'm like, I love that you're being honest. That's awesome. So now we need to repair this because you did take some marbles out by going over on the iPad. So how are we going to do the four R's? And so it's kind of like a back and forth. It's not like mom is mad. Mom is disappointed. Mom's upset with you. I'm like, all right, let's just repair this. Let's go straight to fixing this. And so he's like, I'm sorry. So he took responsibility. He didn't blame. He didn't lie. He didn't blame, you know, that he lost track of time because there was a timer put on the iPad and the timer went off. So he didn't. He took responsibility. He repaired it by the next day, doing 15 minutes less. So instead of doing the 30 minutes on the for the um, homework, he just did 15 minutes. And then the no repeat was, what if this happens again? So yeah, this today the natural consequence is that you lose 15 minutes. But what's going to be the consequence next time? So a lot of times because they're older, I let them choose what the consequence is going to be. And we come up with the consequence together. Do you see how I'm kind of taking myself out of this? I'm allowing him to figure out like how to have the natural consequences built in. So then I'm giving him the autonomy and I'm just kind of like the coach on the side, but I'm not shaming, blaming. I just normalize. I'm like, I know how it feels. Sometimes I'm scrolling Facebook and I know I should get off to go do the laundry. And it's so hard to click off. It's so hard. How would it help me if I'm going to say, I can't believe you did this. This is so rude. You're so disrespectful. Like, I get it, dude. It's hard to get off the iPad and then go do something that you don't want to do. I have that feeling all the time. So I'm now connecting him over something that he did, quote unquote, wrong. But did he really make any do anything wrong? He just made a bad choice. And now we're fixing it. So he said if the uh, if it happened again, that he would lose it all together. I'm like, cool. That's awesome. I don't want that to happen for you. So I'm giving him like, it's on you, boo. I don't care what you choose because the consequence is already built into it. Like if they have to walk Maggie, they walk Maggie to the first lake. If they have, and then I say, what time do you want to do it by? I'm going to do it by 4.15. I'm like, what happens if you don't do it by 4.15? Then I'm going to have to walk Maggie to the second lake. So the consequence is already built in. So 4.15 comes and goes. I just reinforce, and I'm just enforcing whatever they already decided ahead of time. So they know what will happen. And then enforcing that boundary is super easy because it doesn't come from me. It's come to something we've already pre-agreed on. Do you see how I'm taking myself out of as much as possible? And this is what proactive parenting looks like. It makes these decisions ahead of time, and then they get to choose their own ending. They get to choose which route they want to choose. And if they choose the route where they have to walk Maggie to the second lake, 
I'm like, oh, bummer. I know how hot it is sometimes in Florida in summer. That stinks. Well, it's not summer yet, but it feels like it. And then when they do, which they mostly do, by 4.15, by 4.13, I'll start hearing the, the leash jingle. I'm like, oh my goodness, look at you, Mr. Responsibility. That's incredible. I know I couldn't do that when I was nine. How do you do that? I need to learn from you because sometimes it's hard for me to do the podcast at 2.30 when I say I'm going to do it at 2.30. Do you see how much I'm normalizing that even if he didn't do it at 4.15, I get it because there's many times when I come and go past a time deadline and I'm just like, oh, I can't do it. I don't want to empty the dishwasher by a certain time. So then it's me with them. It's not me against them. And I'm normalizing. So there's no guilt and shame around it. Another example was Lily was doing a dance video. She loves to do those dance videos. I mean, she literally is constantly in dance mode. And she's not even in dance classes. She just loves to do those TikTok dancing. And she tries to teach them to me. And I'm so confused by them. And then she'll learn a new one. And she's just constantly in motion. So she wanted to do a video. And so she did it in the bathroom because um, she could watch herself in the mirror while she's recording. And so while she was in the bathroom, the iPad dropped on the ground and cracked, like really cracked. It still worked, but it was like your life, risk your life because there was so many cracks, like you could have hurt your finger. And so she comes out of the bathroom bawling. I thought like she got stung by like 17 bees in her room or something. She was crying so hard. She's like, oh my God, I dropped the iPad. I'm so sorry. And she's already taking responsibility for it. She's not blaming it on the messy counter, which she had a lot of stuff on her counter. She's not blaming it on that her brother came in, which she didn't, but she could have made up a lie because she was so afraid of getting in trouble. The kids never really get in trouble because there's nothing to get in trouble with. The whole pick your battles, I don't even think there should be battles because if you're on the same team, why am I going to go against Lillian Bag? I can't believe you did that. Obviously, she feels guilty enough. I dropped my phone. My phone actually right now has cracks on it. So she comes out. She's hysterical. I can barely even understand her. She's crying so hard. So obviously, she's taking responsibility for it. I broke the iPad. I can't. I'm like, oh, man, I've done that before on my phone. Is it bad? She's like, it's really bad. It's really bad. I'm so sorry. And she's flipping out. So obviously, she's showing remorse. If she's like, listen, mom, I broke the iPad. I can't believe it. And um, it's not a big deal. That's not showing remorse. So then you have a bigger problem. So then after she calmed down, I saw the damage. I was like, dang, girl, you must have like thrown that. She's like, no, it just fell off. And I can't believe how much it broke. And so the repair process was she bought a new cover for the new one. She was going to pay for the new one, but the new we were going to get it repaired, but it was too expensive to repair. And she could not ever afford a new iPad. And so we just broke the difference and had her pay for a new cover. And she, part of the repair was buying a new cover because she couldn't afford the whole iPad. And she's super responsible. So you always have to know also, is this an event or is this a pattern? I'm like, Lily, chill, girl. This is an event, not a pattern. Look at my phone. This is the third time I've cracked mine. So I have a pattern here. So I need to be more careful. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm like, girl, chill. We're not going to get anywhere living in guilt and shame. I make mistakes. You make mistakes. This is part of the B minus. This is part of the 50-50. You didn't take it and throw it on the ground. If that happened, there'd be a problem accidents happen. It's like the spilled milk when they're two. It's the spilled iPad when they're 12. And so the new repeat was she was obviously I felt she was not going to do it again because it was a complete accident. And then she helped shop for a cover. And this cover was like Mac daddy. She read all the reviews. She made her service break resistant, all the things. And then it was over. It was over before it started because I didn't have to reinforce and like guilt and shame her for something she already felt bad about. So when we can teach the four R's to our kids by modeling it first and then showing them also that sometimes it's going to feel hard, 
But when you just fall on the sword and you just know that everyone in your life is trying their best and you know that you're trying your best, then you don't have to attach guilt and shame about it. Because when we attach guilt and shame, then we say, I, instead of saying, I did something wrong, we change it into there's something wrong with you. And that is a lose-lose. I don't want to teach my kids that. And I also don't want them to do that with me, that I have to always be perfect and, and toe the line. And Because my friend, I will always disappoint them. You will disappoint your kids sometimes, and that is okay. Your kids will disappoint you, and that is okay. Your spouse might disappoint you, and that's okay. You will disappoint your spouse sometimes, and that is okay. So whenever you're feeling that feeling, oh, no, I disappointed my kids, you just say, I disappointed my kids, and that's okay. Because you're trying your best, then you forget the rest. And you're going to disappoint yourself sometimes, and you say, that's okay. You just keep the jump ropes going, but beating yourself up and being super hard on yourself and expecting perfection is a lose-lose, and it is literally impossible. And I only know this from experience. I tried it, failed every single stinking honking day. And now I'm like B minus all day long. And then it makes life a lot more fun and it teaches it to the kids too. So I just hope the four R's help you to not only think about how you're apologizing, but then how to teach it to the kids in a very non-threatening, very natural way. And I'll link the show in the show notes, the four R's from Gottman Institute. And this works in all your relationships, especially the one with yourself. So make sure you're kind to yourself. Make sure you're not being hard on yourself because when you're hard on yourself, you're going to be super hard on the kids. When you're kind and loving and compassionate and live in empathy for yourself, you will give that same gift to your kids. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Hey, mamas. Thanks for listening. If you had any ahas, clicks, or those lightning bolt moments while listening, you have to check out my free parenting boot camp where we take all of this to the next level and we try to create even more awakenings for ourselves so that we can connect more with our kids and never yell at them again. You can sign up at www.coachingkelly.com and if you really want to fill up my love cup, send me an email of what your aha was, what your click was, what was that lightning bolt resonating moment while you were listening. I want nothing more in life than for you to have harmony in your home and to learn how to be an imperfect mom like me, which allows your kids to be imperfect too, each and every day. Thanks for listening.